And so I invite you now to hear the word of God. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands, a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. This is the word of God. Pray with me, won't you? Father, as we take this time to study your word and delve into the depth of what it is not to steal, our prayer is that you would teach us how it is that we fall short, and yet through that great knowledge of our shortcomings, you, through the power of Christ, renew, transform, and reclaim our hearts so that though we cannot keep the law because of our sinfulness, yet through Christ we know that you fulfill the law in our hearts as we become very truthful with you. And so this morning as we go through this passage, for some of us it's going to be very uncomfortable. Because, Father, we are all thieves and have stolen from you. Therefore, help us to be restored through the cross of Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. And the people of God said together, Amen. The Saturday, Saturday Evening Post, an era I did not grow up in, but I look back on with great relish. This is a magazine cover that was from 1936. Was anybody alive back then? 1936. And on, in that October edition of 1936, you'll see a woman who is buying a, what looks to be a turkey or a chicken from, a, from a, a, I guess a butcher in that day. We don't even do this anymore, do we? Uh, we just go and pick it up already wrapped and cut up now. But here he is. Uh, he's waiting on the lady. And it, do you notice what's going on there? What, what do you see? What do you see about her finger? Where is it placed? Yep, you see it, don't you? It's, it's under the pan. What is she doing? Well, she's lifting it up. Yeah, she's pushing it up. So she does that because it's a weight. It's a scale, and, and it's weighing that chicken. So she's wanting the chicken to weigh less. Why? because she won't have to pay as much, right? Notice where his finger is. Where is it? It's on the top of the scale. And what is he doing? He's pushing down. Why? Because he wants more money, right? So this is 1936. And you think, wait a minute. I, I thought in those days people lived better. Well, they may have. <laughs> may have. The truth is, when you look at the law of God, it, it is an indictment not upon just our generation. It's an indictment upon every generation all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's an indictment of us as individuals. It's a, it's a telling sign of the fact that this has been a problem for a long time. And so when you think of your mom and dad, 
Godly saints that they were, guess what? They struggled with this law that God said don't steal. When you think of your great-great-grandparents, or you think about the forebears of our country, or the people who, who lived in, in Africa, or Asia, or India, or Europe before this country was ever founded, guess what? Those individuals also violated this law. Why? Because there's something within the human heart that is within every person, not just the people we lock up in jail, but with the person sitting beside you. Now, I know that makes you a little worried because now you're putting your hand on your wallet thinking, is the person beside me going to steal it? Well, I hope not. I hope none of us have a problem with thievery. But as we dig into this commandment, one of the things we've learned so far is that the purpose of the commandment for those who believe in Christ and please understand this. We understand from the teaching in Romans that a righteousness that has been revealed from God is now through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, to be right with God is not the ability to keep the law perfectly. We can't do that. The law shows us God's holiness, how wonderful and pure and righteous our God is, and it also shows how sinful our hearts are. And this is where the pain of the Ten Commandments comes for us. Because it reveals in my heart things that I don't want to admit. I want to think I'm a good person. And because I'm a good person, God naturally will let me into heaven. And I dare say there are a lot of people in the United States of America who when you talk to them about their faith in Christ and you ask them, are you certain that you are going to heaven? Most of them will say yes because they are good people. Well, let me tell you, they'll never get there. You will never get to heaven by being good. Because if you could be good and earn your salvation, you would not need Christ. But the law shows us, it displays for us, that in my life, a power at work that causes me not to love and do what is good in godliness or in God's sight, it is a power that leads me astray from that. That's why the Ten Commandments are no longer being displayed in our public forum anymore. That's why people want to remove them from the courthouses and public places. Why? Because they don't speak of the good things of men and women. It speaks of the evil of their hearts. I wish we had them posted more places. But even then, if you put the Ten Commandments in every wall, in every building, in every city, it would not change the condition of the human heart. It wouldn't change anyone's heart. It would only reveal God's holiness and reveal our wickedness. So what hope do we have? It is in Jesus Christ. And so now that we have come to understand what Christ did in the cross for us, that he died for our sins, he took upon himself what we so richly deserved in not keeping God's laws, in, in rejecting what God has said, Christ bore our sins on that tree so that now we can approach God with confession and hope and redemption and forgiveness because when we come to him and confess these things, he is eager to wash and cleanse us and to change our hearts. So it's in this eighth commandment that God is beginning to teach us how he wants us to be changed in our hearts concerning how we see our possessions how we see our possessions. The Eighth Commandment, do not steal. Well, what is it that God is after? What does he want to teach you about loving him through Jesus Christ that the law can't do for you? What does God want you to walk away from this morning in such a way that you can say, man, I love Jesus Christ so much. I am so grateful for the glory of God and what he has done for me in the cross of Christ. Well, I hope and I pray that by the time you leave here this morning, you will be stirred in your mind and your heart to seek the love of God and to employ it in every part of your life. Please notice first, when you, lose, when you see the word steal in the English, it is from the Hebrew word ganaf, ganaf. And in that word, that word used in the Old Testament covers a, an, a range of meanings. And, and as you think about stealing, there, there, is a, there are some things that I've learned about the law this past week, not just the Old Testament law, but our laws in our country that really speak to this whole business or the problem of stealing. 
And so there are, there are places where this word is used that covers what are called conventional types of stealing. Well, what would those be? Well, have you ever heard of burglary? Burglary is breaking into a home or building and taking what's not yours. How about robbery? That's taking, pro uh, taking property directly from another person through violence or intimidation. Uh, you, could, you could be someone who has committed a larceny and it's taking something without permission and not returning it. Uh-oh. Hijacking, the use of force to, to, uh, to take from others or to uh, take goods or seize controls of, of individuals. There's also shoplifting. Uh, that seems to be a common thing with celebrities. I'm not sure why that is. But more celebrities these days are being picked up and thrown in jail for going into expensive stores when they have millions of dollars and they're stealing things from stores. You hear about this all the time. There's also pickpocketing and, and, and pocket snatching. And so those are what you were, would call the conventional types of thievery that happens in our days. But there's also another range of exotic, more complex threats. And this is where I had a real education. For instance, there's embezzlement. There's embezzlement where there's fraudulent taking of money or goods that are entrusted to someone else's care. And so you hear oftentimes of people getting in problems where they, where they take things that aren't theirs and use them for their own benefit and a detriment of other people. There's extortion. What is that? Well, it's getting money from someone by means of threats or misusing of authority. Get this, misuse of authority. Then there's racketeering. I never knew what that one was, but it's dealing with obtaining money by illegal means. And so many people, if you've watched The Sopranos on TV, uh, made their money in racketeering, these mobsters that are portrayed on that, that particular show on TV. Well, that, that's, that's kind of an overview of stealing, and, and it gives a, a, at least a taste of the beginning of understanding what it is that we are not to do. So um, if you understand that, raise your hand. I am not to steal. If you understand that, everybody good? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple of you are not sure. We'll get to that in a minute. The, the important thing that you must remember is that God says if you steal anything, if you take something without permission, you are worthy. You have rewarded yourself with the punishment of death. Now why would God, I mean, what's the big deal, right? I mean, you take a pen from work. God, why is that such a big deal to you? So you, you walk around the, the campus and you find someone's wallet. You pick it up and put the money in your pocket and throw the wallet away. What's the big deal? It's lost. I remember when I was at the beach with my sister who was in heaven. She passed away a couple of years ago and there were some beautiful cards that were printed. We were in Polly's Island and they were... They were stationaries that someone had left in the, in the rental unit that we were, we were living in that week. And she said, oh, those are just so beautiful. And I said, well, why don't you take them home with you? And she said, what? I said, well, obviously the people who were here left them on the table. They didn't come back for them, so they're just going to sit there forever. Why don't you just take them home and use them? She said, what? You're a preacher. I said, so? She said, that's stealing. And I said, well, oh, I'm... Really glad you caught on to that. I was like, wow, I, I really tempted her to steal something. See, it's, it can happen so easily, isn't it? God hates thieves. He will judge them. He will condemn them for their thievery. Why is it such a big deal? Well, not only does it cover a wide range of problems, it, it deals with the fact that there's a negative side to stealing according to the Ten Commandments, and there's a positive. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, God says don't do this, and then he says do this. So please understand that as God gives us this commandment this morning, he is asking you to trust him. Trust him by not acting a certain way, by resisting the inclination of your heart to follow a path or, or a way of living that really dishonor him. And that secondly, he wants you to think a positive way of responding to this, and that is there's something that God wants us to teach us about himself. There's something that God wants you to understand about who he is to you. 
The God who loves you, who forgives you, who cleanses you, who calls you into a relationship with him. He wants you to love him and he wants you to know him and to trust him. Okay, so in light of that, what is this negative part of the law? Well, it's a sin against God. Why is it a sin against God and our neighbor? Well, there's a number of reasons, but here's two. Thievery is a failure to trust God for his provision. So when we are tempted to take something that doesn't belong to us, what we're really telling God is, you don't get it, God. I need things. Are you familiar with the singer Janet Jackson? Remember her? One of the famous songs that made her famous was, What Have You Done For Me Lately? Right? And so, so often in our hearts... We can justify taking things that don't belong to us because we deserve them, we think. We in our own minds and our hearts tell God, God, I don't have what I need to live. You're not living up to being a God I can trust in. That's what we say when we steal. Now that's a pretty big indictment, isn't it? It's a pretty powerful thing to say to God that you're not supplying my needs. And yet, when you read in the New Testament, Paul teaches in his letters to the Christians in that era that God has given you everything you need to serve and love him today. And so if you don't have it, you don't need it in order to please God. But yet so often... Because of our materialistic society, we think we can't be happy unless we have something we don't have. Have you ever noticed that? We go to all this, all this business of shopping for Christmas to find the right present. We ask our, our loved ones, what would you like for Christmas? And they, I, I tell my family, I want a Timber King sawmill. It still hasn't come, but I'm looking for it. And, and the most amazing thing is I just can't be satisfied until I, well, what if, what if I got it? Would I be happy? Well, no, then I'd need a tractor because I had to have something to load the log onto the Timber King sawmill, Right? You see, that's, that's, that's the way we are. When is the last time you have said to God, help me to be content with what you have given me? We don't do that. But this is exactly why God gives us the law. Because he wants you to be content with his provision for your life. Now, there are times when we go through rough patches and we, we need help. There are people who are poor that need assistance. There's no doubt. But never does God anticipate anyone looking to the government or to individuals to continue to sustain their life. We are to look to God and to God alone. The other problem about thievery, the reason it's not just a, a, a failure that we say God has failed to provide for me, the other thing that is a sin against God and against others is that we also insist or we also believe that thievery is an assault on God's provision for others. You ever been envious and jealous of someone who has more money than you? You know what you're saying to God? It's a powerful thought, isn't it? I, I don't want to preach anymore. I want to stop. Because this gets real personal. This gets deeper in our hearts that we don't, we would rather just think to be, to be a Christian means to be happy and holy and sunny and have dispositions that are always content. We're not. We are living in a culture that consistently, with every power available, wants to elicit from you an envy and a jealousy of what others have. And you are not a person according to that kind of thinking until you have what everyone else has. We're having that argument in our culture today 
we're having that argument that says, well, it's not fair that there is rich and poor, so therefore we want everyone to have equity. And so we're going to take some from one and give to those who don't have. And we're going to level the playing field. Well, let me tell you, if you were able to do that in five minutes, the, the leveled playing field would be unequal because of the sinfulness of the human heart. Because the moment you gave everyone, and the government's doing it. Did you get your check yet? Did you need your check? Did you really need it? You see the government stepping up and thinking, if we can tell people that we can solve their problems, I have no faith in government anymore. I have no faith. Why? Because it's led by sinful men and women who believe that money can solve our problems and it will not. It never has. It never will. I don't know if you noticed, but in that article I showed you, can I show you this very quickly? In that article, at the bottom of the article, there is a line that says what? Government run everything. This is 1936. What, what happened in 1929? The stock market crashed. Do you, do you hear what's happening, y'all? Without even realizing it, we have come to a place as a culture where we think equity is the answer to the problem of the human heart, and it never will be, it never was, and it never can be. The only one who can provide what you need today is God. He's the only one. And let me tell you, there is no price that can possibly be better than the price of Christ paying for our sins on the cross. Because when he paid for it, he paid it all so that we have everything we need today to love and serve God. Are you satisfied with that? You remember the Rolling Stones, their famous song, I Can't Get No. How many years has this been? Mick Jagger is how old and he's still on stage? Shaking his bones, what are left of him? And he still doesn't have satisfaction. Oh, man. Well, this is not just about stealing. That's what the Ten Commandments are teaching us. That God is not in the business of shaming you. Shame on you. Don't you steal. That's not our God. Our God is a God who blesses, who loves, who encourages, who elicits trust, who calls us to repentance and faith in him. And so what God is teaching us about what really is important for the Christian to let sink into the ooziness of their hearts that is that is really rotted out by sin and that is it's about ownership it's about ownership now this is going to be really challenging for you because when you read the bible and you start to really understand what god is teaching us about who he is and about our possessions whatever we possess is really god's property that's what the bible teaches so you have a house you have a car you have clothes you have some food in your refrigerator it all really belongs to god it's his He's given it to you. Changes the whole perspective, doesn't it? When you begin to think deeply that God is the one who has bestowed in your hands things to live by, to live with, and use, the question then becomes is if he gives us these things, then why does he give them to us? What is their purpose? What are we supposed to do with them? Well, it's interesting because as you get into this, it deals with the fact that this eighth commandment is about you knowing how to use what God has given you. And so he has, and interestingly enough, given us all a different amount. If you go to the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus teaches, he says that there was an owner of a land who had some servants, and he gave one servant a talent, a certain amount of money. He gave one another five, and he gave another ten. And he said, I'm going away. You use this, and when I come back, I'll collect 
whatever it is that you have done. And, and you know the story? Do you know, do you know the story? What happened? The guy who got ten talents, well, he doubled it. A hundred, I mean, maybe a hundredfold. Then the, the guy who got five talents, boy, he did pretty good too. He invested it and used it for the master, and he, he grew it. And what happened to the guy who had the one talent? What did he do? Yeah, he buried it in the ground. I was talking to Mary Jo this past week, and Mary Jo Belk was telling me how she was laughing about her kids who were convinced that Mary Jo is so tight with her money that she's buried all her money in the backyard, and they want to know where, she, where she's buried it. So when she, if God takes her home, they can go dig it up. We sort of laughed about that, you know? We, we're not, you know, I, I'll never forget I'll never forget how when I'm spending someone else's money, it's easy to spend. But boy, you asked me to pick up the check, and I'm going to be going, hmm, let me think about that one, right? Well, the Eighth Commandment is about how we use the resources God has given us particularly to ourselves. And so you cannot compare what God has given other people because you have to begin thinking about what God has given you. Well, what do we mean by stewardship? Well, when we talk to, and when we look in the Bible about what God says about ownership, God gives us our possessions for two reasons. He says we are first given possessions so that we are forbidden to take things that don't belong to us. Why? Because they're given to other people. They're not given to you. And the second thing about it is that God teaches us that we're required to use what we have in ways that are pleasing to God. What? Well, that's the whole purpose of the steward. The steward is not out to use the money frivolously, flagrantly, flamboyantly. Why does God give us money? Do you know I believe that God has given us the wealth we have today to complete the mission of spreading the gospel around the world? Do you know how close we are? And then Jesus says the end will come. And so as you look at the churches today, as you look at all the things that we're doing, we are endeavoring to make the gospel known in the world. Why do we spend all this time and energy and money to do that? Because God is in the business of saving individuals who are lost from him because of their sins. And so when you invest in the God, when you, when you take what you have and begin to say, why has God given me these possessions? It is for His glory. It is to make Him known. And so when you, you begin to wrestle with this, and by the way, you're smart people, you can wrestle with this. You can work through this in your own mind. One of the things that God says is that we are called not to use things for our own purpose, but for his glory. Therefore, we're forbidden to take what others have, and we are to use what we have for his glory in every shape, fashion, or form. And so when you think about this, stewardship really talks about this whole business that we are literally called to be those who are caring for the property God has given us, not to use it for ourselves, meaning for any frivolous thing that is kind of beyond that whole purpose of God's gift. And we are to manage it according to God's intentions. Now, here's where it's going to get tough. You're going to say, well, wait a minute, Robert. If that's true then what frivolous things could we spend it on? Well, let me back up just a minute. I don't want to offend anybody, but I was talking to my brother this past week. He lives in Georgia, and we were talking about, you know, it would be nice before we die to have a nice nest egg to give to our children or to do something with. And so... What do you think about, he asked me, what do you think about playing the lottery in Georgia? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, it only costs a dollar for a ticket. And I said, so you want to spend a dollar a week on the lottery? And he said, yeah. And I got it all figured out. If God lets me win the lottery, I'll give him 10%, which would be a tithe, 10%. And I said... Uh, you want to know my real opinion of that? He said, yeah. I said, if you win the lottery, you're going to have to ask God 
to forgive you because you've wasted a dollar on doing something that really he's already kind of warned us that is frivolous spending. But even more, if you're going to do it, then why don't you go ahead and really be bold and tell God you'll give it all to him. And he got real quiet. And he said, uh, why all? And I said, because it belongs to him anyway. You see the difference? Now that, that's arresting, isn't it? Gambling has become a huge problem in our country. I remember days when states would never think of supplying the resources for our community based upon gambling, and yet now it is common. You don't remember this, but when North Carolina passed the lottery in our state, the man who decided the final vote was the, the speaker. His name was Black, Jim Black. He's in jail. And it passed by one vote, his vote. And the promise from our legislature was that if we as a state pass this lottery, we will never have to fund education from our public, public taxes anymore. In other words, you will not have a school tax ever again. Have you checked your taxes? What is that? It's greed, government, greed. I wish I could condemn that, but the minute I do, I have to condemn myself because I have the same sin problem. I'm greedy too. The Southern Baptist, in trying to deal with this problem, wrote a, wrote a statement one year in dealing with this issue, and they said, the Southern Baptist Convention has provided an excellent answer. While the Bible contains no thou shalt not in regards to gambling, it does contain many insights and principles which indicate that gambling is wrong. The Bible emphasizes the sovereignty of God in, direct, in direction of human events. Look at Matthew 10, 29 through 30. Gambling looks to chance and good luck, not to God. The Bible indicates that man is to, man meaning men and women, is to work creatively and use possessions for good of others. Gambling fosters a, a something for nothing attitude. And the Bible calls for careful stewardship. Gambling calls for reckless abandonment. The Bible condemns covetousness and materialism. Gambling has both in its heart. The moral thrust of the Bible is love for God and neighbor. Gambling seeks personal gain and pleasure at another person's pain or loss. You see, that's really the problem, isn't it? You say, well, oh, Robert, come on. Does it really matter, does it? Does it? Apparently it matters to God. Do not steal. Okay, you can tell I've gotten to preaching. You've gotten real quiet. I hope it's caused you to think deeply because there's so much more to talk about, to learn about this love of God in Jesus Christ that God has for us. I, I, but I can't believe it. It's already past the hour. But here's some things to think on when you think of this commandment that God wants you to know about him so that you can love him and you can have a clear conscience. Here's some things that I found that were really quite important. Good stewardship, meaning what it means to do God's will in dealing with our possessions. Good stewardship always takes care of what we have been given. I remember driving up to see Tom Brantley. God bless him. 
they never had children. They, they gave money to this church for the purpose of a scholarship for people who, who needed help to go to college. And because of that kind and generous giving, we're now able to have a scholarship fund in this church for people who need uh, education. Tom Brantley had a, a tractor and, and all kind of farm equipment. I want y'all to know it was museum quality. When you went to his farm, every piece of, every piece of mechanical furn, uh, furniture he has, which is basically every machine, was washed and cleansed and put away. It was eerie to see how well cared for his machinery was taken care of. Now, don't get me wrong, Tom wasn't a perfect person, but when it came to his material possessions, he took care of his things. So does God want you to take care of your things, to take care of them. The second thing about good stewardship is it gives a good, honest, good, honest, hard work. Good, honest, hard work. Now, this gets into gray areas because our businesses can steal from us when they fire or let go of people who are working for them, doing jobs, and then they give you the work to do in addition to everything you're doing. That's stealing from you. But the other is just as true. When you, when you go to work and you don't put in the, the amount of work that needs to be done to the best of your ability, you're stealing from your employer. You know, and we don't think about that, do we? I was listening to someone during our work day yesterday talk about the fact it is hard to find anyone who keeps their word anymore. That's stealing. Did y'all know that? That when, we, when someone promises to come and they don't come and you've spent all the time waiting on them and they don't show up, they've actually stolen from you. That's a hard thing to face, isn't it? Here's another idea. Good stewardship gives to people who have needs. I will not give one dollar to anyone standing on the interstate down here. Not one dollar. And I don't feel badly about it at all. Because we support a ministry in this town that helps people who really need help. We give generously to help the poor. But I know if I give a dollar to someone who's standing on the street, they will probably take it and spend it on drugs and it will kill them. I will buy them groceries, I will buy them gas, but I will not give them cash. Why? Because I am very much aware of the sinfulness of the human heart. And so there is a way of meeting people's needs but not enabling them to live in violating God's law because the person who's standing out here and collecting all this money is not paying taxes, he's not doing anything more than pocketing that money, and what he's doing is he's stealing from God. Does that sound harsh to you? It takes great discernment, and the only way I can really know that is by going and talking to them and getting to know them. One man was named John. We had a, had a moment where a woman and her three children had gone and bought a tent and all kinds of materials for him to survive with and they were having compassion for them and they parked their car at our property and walked to where he was and when they, he saw her coming with all these materials to give him so that he could live, he ran away. He didn't want those things. Why? He wanted the money. He didn't want help. That's stealing. The same thing is happening with what's happening with our government today as we, we give out checks upon checks. We're hearing about this fraud that's happening all over. If it's true, it's stealing. It's stealing. And God won't bless it. Well, what do I do about it? Well, God says look in your own heart first. Jerry Bridges in his book, uh, in talking about this, he writes in his book, The Deci Discipline of Grace. He says there really are three different attitudes that you have about money this morning. Three different attitudes. The first is, what's yours is mine and I'll take it. Uh, my dog is that way. <laughs> the second one is, what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. 
You know, I, I, I find that pretty much where I am. But here's the one that really is challenging. What's mine is God's. And I want to be honest with you. I, I don't consider that true until I look in the scriptures. And what I have is to be shared. It's never to build my kingdom. It is to build the kingdom of God. And so as I thought about this, I thought, okay, well, how does that, how does that translate? Well, if I have a coat I haven't worn in years and it's sitting in my closet, I'm, I'm probably not being a good steward, right? Or maybe some shoes or maybe other things that I just haven't used. Someone else could. I don't need it. We'll sell it on eBay, right? Okay, you could do that, and that's fine. It's between you and God. I'm not, I'm not your father. I'm not your dad. But what I am trying to Port to you this morning is the truth that what God is saying to us is that what we have belongs to Him. And if you have it, you're called to be a steward of it. And so in light of that, the questions that come in my mind is, am I a thief? After looking at this commandment, as I've studied it this week, I began to preach to myself and said, am I a thief? Have I robbed from God? And the more I've looked at it, the more I have to say, yep, because... Most Christians would just say or deny that they steal from God, but when you look in the scriptures and you look, for instance, in Malachi chapter 3, you find even the Israelites who were told by God, show me how much you love me by trusting me to give 10% to the temple. And in Malachi, as the culture that they lived in was falling apart, the most amazing thing happened God came with an indictment from the prophet to his people and he said, he said, I the Lord do not change, so you the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Meaning I've kept my word, I've kept my promise, I have preserved you as your God. Ever since the time of your ancestors you were turned away from my decrees and have not kept them Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, well, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, and they asked indignantly, how are we robbing God? In your tithes and your offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Think of that. Would God say that to the United States of America? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and, vine, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, the Lord Almighty has said. I, says the Lord Almighty, have, have I not kept it? Return to me, return. You, you, do you hear it? It's, it's, not, it's not that that we give to God that he might fill our pockets. That's that prosperity gospel you're hearing today, and it's a bunch of hogwash. No, we, we teach tithing in our church because it's a measure by which you can test your heart. Hear me. I tell people about this, and I say, if you can't tithe, if you don't have enough faith in God to believe he can provide for you by tithing, then give 1% and increase it every month until you get to 10. And I promise you, the day God does not provide for you, you can quit giving to God. I've never had anyone in this church come and tell me, yep, God didn't do it. He didn't provide. And yet, one of the things that we try to instill in you is even then, listen to me, my people, we do not want you to give money to this church out of obligation. If you're giving to God, it should be out of a joy for all the things that he has blessed you with. 
That is the purpose of giving. And God says, in my challenging you in this one area, I am revealing to you the truth of this eighth commandment, do not steal. What does that mean? That God provides for me and he provides for others and therefore I will not take what does not belong to me nor will I allow others to take what does not belong to them because I believe God is my provider. Jesus put it this way, he's powerful, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one or love the other. You will either be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot birth, serve both God and mammon. What is mammon? Mammon is, in translation in the New Testament, is mammon, not money. Mammon is our possessions. And this is where the Eighth Commandment is trying to show us how we are in bondage because of owning things things own us and when that happens we have lost the joy of our salvation what are the implications well here's some questions I've asked myself this week I just offer them to you because I felt so guilty where do I need to confess to God any selfish attitude I have Where? Where is that? God, show me. In the words of David, search my heart and know me. How, how am I seeking Jesus' power to become stewards of my possessions? How am I doing that? Where am I going to be informed by that? And, and then what, am I, what time am I devoting to learn the disciplines I need in order to grow in my service to Jesus? Where, where am I really learning, learning how to love him? Doug and Abby just got back from Africa. And uh, I've never been to Africa, but I was so intrigued by some of the stories they gave. I actually weren't on YouTube. Have you ever gone to YouTube? You can find some really weird stuff on YouTube, can't you? Well, one of the things I found was uh, how tribesmen catch monkeys without a slingshot or a trap. And all they have are a couple of fruits, pieces of fruit. And, and it was, it's just the most amazing thing I've ever seen. The, the, the tribesman will take a spear and he'll walk out to where they'll find these huge anthills that are abandoned, thank God. But, I mean, these things are like mountains. I mean, huge anthills. And, and they're just petrified. It's, you can't knock them over. And they'll, they'll go out where the monkeys are in the trees and they'll walk up to one of these anthills and they'll take a stick and they'll bore a hole so that the opening of the hole is smaller than the inside of the hole. The hole inside is bigger. And then they'll take the fruit or whatever they think the monkey is really wanting to get and they'll look up in the trees and let the monkeys see them and they'll drop the fruit into the hole. And then they walk away. And as the tribesman walks away, the monkey looks down and knows that the, the man has put something in that hole. So what do you think he does? Yeah, yeah. He, he climbs down out of the tree. He goes over to the hole and he sticks his hand in and he, he realizes it's something to eat. So he grabs it, a fistful. And then he suddenly realizes he can't get his hand out of the hole because he won't let go of what he's got. And as he looks over, his, looks over his shoulder, guess what he sees? The tribesman is running toward him. And the closer the tribesman comes, the more the monkey's trying to pull his hand out of the hole. He can't get it out. It turns out he's supper for tonight. That's how they catch monkeys. Isn't that something? The man, monkey could save his life. He just let go. Have I, have I stolen from God? Oh yeah. So have you. But thanks be to God. 
This is what God forgives us of and now wants to cleanse us from is this slavery that thinking our value is in what we own instead of who we belong to. Amen? Are you ready to go home? Let's pray. Father, as we think about uh, mammon, I wish I could say I had this one licked. I wish I could say that I'm a righteous man, but I'm not. I need Jesus Christ for this one reason, that I, I tend to confuse things in such a way. I use people and things instead of blessing others with what I have. I, I may have said something this morning that really, really offended someone. And if I've done that, I, I'm deeply sorry. It was not my intention to offend you. It was really my intention to challenge you to hear God's voice. That God is the giver of every good gift. He has given you good things. And his challenge to you is, why are you not satisfied with him? And what is it do you really need? What is it that you really need? And he answers that in Jesus Christ. This may be an area this morning that you know you know that you are far from the heart of God. You don't have to be. Some of you think I've got to clean up my life and make it right and then come to God. That's, that's, that's the putting the cart before the horse. You can't clean your life up. You can only ask God to come and do it for you. And you have to ask Him and I want to give you that opportunity this morning. It's a simple prayer. It says, Father, I realize I am so far enslaved in sin that I can't even see the trees from the forest. I am a selfish thief who takes from others and justifies even taking from you what you deserve. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and give me a new heart that longs to love and serve you. That will change my whole perspective of what I own and see it as what you have given so that I can put food on my family's table and clothes on my children's body so that I can give to those in need and further the gospel around the world. So that I can fulfill the promise you gave to Abraham that you have blessed me to be a blessing so that all the nations of the world will be blessed. You prayed that simple prayer. Jesus heard you. And now he wants you to come and follow him. Follow him, no one else. To the glory of God the Father, we ask and we pray in Jesus' name.